Philippians 1, Part 1, from the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor David Hosang. You know, the word for church in the New Testament, ecclesia, does not refer to a building, but to people. So it is far more biblical not to speak about going to church, but being church. And if we live in a country, say, that's close to Christianity, we meet in homes and offices, and often with changing locations. If we live in a country in the midst of a pandemic, we choose to meet virtually or in smaller groups. Thank God for technology. We're able to catch cameos of some of our people spreading the joy, experiencing the joy, during this weird COVID-19 season. And surprise, surprise, our next sermon series, beginning today, which was actually mapped out last year, deals with the topic of contagious joy. How do we experience joy in the midst of great uncertainty and present suffering? There's clearly an elephant in the room today, and we'll address this later. But here at Metro, we're committed to declaring the full counsel of God revealed in the scripture. We're not a cool self-help community, but a hot God-help community. Prior to this, we spent a year going through the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We followed up that with what Jesus continued to do and teach through the early church in the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest. And for the next 10 weeks, we were looking at one of the letters, one of the four letters that he wrote during this house arrest. And speaking of letters, here's part of one that I read recently. So, without any background, you will kind of get the gist of it, but if you know who is writing the letter and who is receiving it, you will be able to understand it better. And just as a hint, you probably know at least one of these persons. The handwriting is a little bit hard to read, and it's an old letter, so I just read a little part of it. Here goes. It's been a busy weekend, though, getting all my grades together. Can't believe that I'll see you in just two weeks. Can you think of a quick answer as to why you want to marry me? Why do I want to marry you? Because I love you and you me. Because God has confirmed that this is the right choice for us. And I feel, think, and know with every part of me that, that yearns and reaches out to you that I love you, I need you, I want you to be part of my life. And to think that God in his majesty sovereignly is graciously allowing us to live our lives together. I copied a quote from Elizabeth Elliot by G.K. Chesterton about vow making. I'll pass this along to you. Have you worked on your vows yet? I've already given you my life. 
what else is there left to give? Well, if I told you beforehand that this letter was from my darling wife, Betty, 42 years ago, just a few weeks before we got married, while she was in high school teaching English, and I was in Jamaica teaching in Bible college, that letter would probably make a little bit more sense to you. When we look at scripture, particularly the literary genres, such as the New Testament letters, the more we know about the background and the context of the letter, the better able we are to understand it. So let's look at some basic background to the Philippians. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, our hearts are heavy this morning in the midst of two pandemics, a medical and a moral one. May we find comfort, joy, and guidance from you and your word this morning. Amen. So let's answer two basic questions regarding this letter. Who wrote the letter and who received the letter? Well, looking at the first two verses of Philippians, Philippians 1, 1 and 2, here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So who wrote the letter? Well, two authors are named. Firstly, Paul formerly Saul of Tarsus, who met Jesus on the Damascus Road while he was on his way to persecute Christians, missionary, evangelist, church planter, pastor, theologian, and author of 13 New Testament letters. Paul is perhaps the most influential Christian in the early church. One of his favorite designations of himself was apostolos, apostle. But since he's including another team member, he uses another favorite designation, doulos, meaning servant, slave of Christ. Secondly, there's Timothy, a co-servant, co-slave, co-author of five other New Testament letters of Paul, Paul's spiritual son, probably from the first missionary journey, Paul's missionary partner, including being on the team to Philippi on the second missionary journey, Timothy commended later on in Philippians, and Timothy, the recipient of two letters in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy. So who received the letter? Church in Philippi. So as we look at a map of Philippi, second missionary journey starts in Antioch, Syria, modern-day Antakya, Turkey. Paul and Silas stop in Lystra, they pick up Timothy as a team member. But after a catastrophic flop at the beginning of the mission, when Paul and his team were not allowed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel in all of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, the team arrives in Turkey, tail between their legs, and end up in seaport town of Troas. Paul receives there a night vision from a man of Macedonia, Greece, saying, 
come over to Macedonia and help us. So they take a ship from Troas over to Neapolis. They journey 10 miles inland and end up in Philippi, where they found no synagogue, but instead they found a woman's prayer group by the river. And as the story unfolds, key members of this church in Philippi include Lydia, leader of this woman's group, business owner, devout seeker of God, hostess extraordinaire, and here's a quick plug for women. The church in Philippi, birthed out of a woman's group, was actually one of the healthiest New Testament churches. Then perhaps they may have been that exorcised slave girl. We don't know. But probably certain the Roman jailer and his family, who became Christians after a big earthquake rocked his world. There's Epaphroditus, who we shall get to know better. He was sent with a gift for, to Paul, and he is also Paul's assistant. He was commended by Paul in chapter 2. And then there are overseers and deacons, as mentioned in verse 1, include, indicating that there's a good leadership structure already in place. Another important piece of the background of this letter to bear in mind is that Paul is clearly in prison, awaiting trial that they may end in his release or his execution. So it would be natural if we expected Paul to be throwing a pity party for himself or even a temper tantrum to God for putting him in this desperate situation, especially since he was in prison because he was serving God faithfully in preaching the good news about Jesus. But instead, as you read the short letter, the words joy and rejoice from the same Greek root, kara, God's name, and Cairo occur 16 times. So, was Paul delusional? Was he faking it? Well, you judge for yourselves as you read this very same letter oozing with joy. I encourage you to read through this letter at one sitting. It's only 104 verses, which you could read in 10 minutes. As Pastor Clay reminded us last Sunday, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Essentially, happiness is dependent on happenings or external circumstances. But joy is an internal attitude a conscious choice, a state of the heart. Even in painful life situations, like the persecuted Christians in 1 Peter, we can have joy even in sorrow. Amen. And one thing I noticed as I reread Philippians recently is that true, lasting joy is not found in things or events, but in relationships with important people. Remember the great commandment where the most important thing in life is re-emphasized by Jesus. Love God fully and people too. Today, we look at the first 11 verses of chapter 1, and we find three evidences of contagious joy. Firstly, our joy is revealed when we thank God for Christians. Paul gives the first two thanksgiving reasons in verses 3 and 4. So we look at verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here Paul thanks God for their partnership. And clearly, thanksgiving and joy are inseparably Siamese twins. If I'm thankful, then I'm joyful. If I'm joyful, then I'm thankful. Conversely, if I'm ungrateful, I'm sad. If I'm sad, I'm ungrateful. So let's just play the word association game. Think of someone in your past or present for whom you are thankful. Doesn't that stir up joy in your heart just thinking of them? In this particular case, Paul is thankful for the Philippians' partnership, fellowship, or the Greek word koinonia in the gospel. So what does it mean to be partners in the gospel here? As we shall see later in chapter 4, chapter 4 is a partial thank you note for the financial gifts the, the Philippians sent to Paul through Epaphroditus since Paul was on our house arrest. This was not the first time they'd given him a gift. In fact, from the get-go, they were strong supporters of Paul, as we see in verse 5, from the first day until now. And Paul is very sensitive not to receive gifts from some other churches, like the church in Corinth, where he knew that some people would accuse him of being a freeloader. But he loved and he trusted these Philippians. He felt comfortable in receiving from them as they were true partners in the gospel. They had received Paul, their spiritual father, church planter, and their first partner. And when we at Metro here take an offering, we say, it is time to give back to God for those who call Metro their home. Many of us have found God here, returned to God here, and are transforming here. So if you're just checking us out, and this is not your church home, please don't feel obligated to give to Metro. Not only did the Philippians send Epaphroditus with a monetary gift to make Paul's house arrest and hospitality gifts more pleasant, they also sent Epaphroditus himself as his personal assistant to help take care of some of Paul's personal needs so Paul could devote himself more to evangelizing his visitors and to writing letters. Early this month, one of our spiritual daughters sent my wife Betty a Mother's Day card. And along with the card, she sent a substantial gift to Metro because she figured that during this pandemic, we may be experiencing challenging financial times of the church, and she wanted to support our ministry. What was particularly touching to me is that right now she's unemployed, though her husband is working, and we never mentioned anything about finances to her. Also, during the early stages of this COVID-19 epidemic, a number of you delivered groceries to our home. And I won't name names, lest I forget some, but a few of you have been extravagantly generous to us. Great is your reward in heaven. Part of it may be that Betty and I are senior citizens, but a larger part of it is that you consider yourselves not just partners at Metro, but as partners together in the gospel. And this partnership gives us great joy.
And so, for whom are you thankful to God as a partner in the gospel? It may be somebody who serves with you or serves your kids here. So how about thanking God for their partnership and thanking them too for the partnership? So the first reason Paul gives thanksgiving for these Christians is their partnership. A second reason for Paul giving thanksgiving is their friendship. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's clearly a deep fondness that Paul has for the Philippians. Note the expressions, since I have you in my heart, and God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. A good illustration of this is when Pastor Peter had his Q&A time a few weeks ago with Pastor Kevin Swanson, who was on our staff here. Kevin got so much love on the chat room. And when his wife, Linda, Zoom bombed the time, many of our women and perhaps men lost it. Paul not only made a Christian choice to love the Philippians, as you ought to love all Christians, including the jacked-up, abusive Corinthian Christians, but Paul liked them very much. My Kenyan friend in seminary had a theory that Paul may have had a crush on Lydia and vice versa. I have no strong evidence for this, but I know that Paul deeply valued the friendship of these Philippians. And here's evidence for this in verse 7. First, they were not just fear-weather friends, they were foul-weather friends. They were not just Paul's friends when things were good, when he was free to visit them, but they were friends when things were bad, when he was imprisoned, unable to be with them or to serve them. Secondly, they were unselfish friends, whether he was serving them or others. Presently, he was an apologist and evangelist, not in Philippi, but in Rome. But they're good with this. In fact, they had earlier supported Paul on missions to other places. Thirdly, they shared practically in God's grace. As in verse 5, we have another occurrence of koinonia, sharing in this verse 7. They shared practically in their financial support. They shared practically in person support. And this kind of reminds me of the friendships that we share here on Metro staff. Thanks to God and thanks to Pastor Peter, we have some really good friendships here. As senior citizen, I'm probably, what, 30 or so years older than some more. And that punk IJ reminded me that I'm almost three times as old as he is. But we have some good friendships. We do stuff for each other. We treat each other food. We go shopping for each other. And we have great friendships. Friends are gifts from God. And as you grow older, you'll treasure these friendships even more. So, for whose friendship are you thankful today? Why not drop them a note? Or do something creative this week to let them know how much you appreciate their friendship. At church, you don't merely mean to need to look for a life partner, but you ought to be pursuing 
deep, replenishing friendships with people whose kingdom values and best friend God is the same as yours. So, our joy is revealed when we thank God for Christians, for their partnership, and for their friendship. Secondly, our joy is revealed when we trust God about Christians. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. In this particular case, Paul had it easy. And sometimes we have dream disciples. There is clear evidence in this letter of the maturing, growing transformation of these Philippians, like their responsiveness to Paul's teaching and their responsiveness to his needs. So he could say, not with wishful thinking, but with bold confidence, that God, who began a good work of salvation in them, would complete it until Jesus returns. Note, it is God, not us, who begins and completes this work of salvation in others. There is only one Savior and one Messiah, and it's not me or you. And honestly, there are times in ministry when you're working with people, pastoring, teaching, discipling them, and there's little evidence of transformation. I had a conversation with one of our pastors last week, and we commiserated that sometimes we just need to be faithful and trust God when we, even when we see little or no evidence of transformation. A few weeks ago, I received a series of emails from someone with whom I used to meet monthly for a few years, about six years ago. Honestly, I did not think that we had made any significant progress together. But his recent glowing emails expressed how significant and formative these times were for him. And here's the kicker. He's now meeting with someone else who is telling him the same things I told him repeatedly, and the lights have now come on for him. So parents, I feel your pain. You may feel like your words are falling on deaf ears, but your kid goes off to a youth retreat or a college conference organized by AIJ, and he or she hears the same thing you have repeated over and over and over again, perhaps in a different way, and the lights come on for your kid. Don't be deflated. Rejoice that God's good work is taking place in your child, regardless of who gets credit for it. And for those of you who serve your kids at home, other people's kids at church, or even adults, as you lay solid foundations for their faith, place your confidence in God continuing his good work in them. Whether they are Philippian-type Christians who give you cause for great human confidence, or whether they're Corinthian-like Christians who challenge your human confidence. And you, if there's someone discipling you, how about your mentor's confidence in God's work in you? Well, it's up to God, but it's also up to you. And you hold a vital key to this. So our joy is revealed when we trust God about Christians. And finally, our joy is revealed when we petition God for Christians. Verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One important thing for all of us to note here and remember is that the most, not the least important thing we can do for anyone is to pray for them. Yes, contacting, encouraging, challenging and helping them in practical ways is important, but praying wisely and sustainably for them is most important. Betty and I vividly remember this on Wednesday when two dear friends with whom we had been in contact and for whom we had been praying just lost their preemie twins, the third and fourth of their five sons who died around childbirth. There's not much to say to them right now, but we cry out for God to comfort them at this time. In this passage, Paul is not offering a health, wealth, and prosperity prayer for the Philippians. He doesn't even mention specific prayer requests that are pressing concerns or practical needs. And there is a time and place for that. At first sight, this appears to be some general, generic type prayer. But if God answers these prayers in ways that are relevant to our life situation, this is indeed a powerful prayer. Let's look at the prayer more in detail. It is a prayer to grow more abundantly, intelligently, insightfully in our love for God. It is a prayer to grow more abundantly, intelligently, and insightfully in our love for people. It's a prayer to observe and listen well to the Holy Spirit and to others. It is a prayer for us to become less, less self-centered and more God-centered and people-centered. And what's the goal of all this? Qualitative growth and love. Paul mentions four results. Firstly, wise discernment of the best. This means, for example, that you learn the love language, you love, learn the love map of your spouse, significant other, or close friends, so you know how best to love and relate to them. This means good discernment between fake, half-true, and true news. This means discernment between Fox, CNN, and other news networks. This means discernment between President Trump, World Health Organization, and Dr. Fauci. Another result, sustainable purity and blamelessness. Purity in the eyes of God, the only one who can see the purity of our attitudes, thoughts, words and actions, both in private and in public. Blamelessness in the eyes of the audience of one, the all-knowing judge and savior. Fourth result, full righteousness of Christ. Our clothing is right and righteous living, which comes from and through Christ, our heavenly king, even if our earthly emperor may be naked. The fourth result, ultimate worship to God, to the glory and praise of God. 
praising and honoring and glorifying God in how we respond to racial hatred of Asians during this pandemic. Honoring, praising, and giving glory to God in how we respond to systemic racial injustices against African Americans here in the USA. So let's talk about the elephant in the room now. Sadly, the church has not always reflected the glory and the praise of God in the way that we have responded, or more accurately, not responded to moral and spiritual pandemics. And for those of you who are listening, who say the church shouldn't get involved in social, racial, and political issues, may I remind you that if you value scripture, these are theological issues which matter very much to God. For too long, the church was silent on slavery. For too long, the church was silent on civil rights. How long will the church be silent on racial injustice? God sees all humans, whether white, yellow, brown, or black, as all created in his image, equally precious to him, and worthy of equal treatment, especially black men in America. God is the God of mercy and also the God of justice for all, regardless of our ethnic, educational, or economic background, especially in the criminal justice system for people of color. And these are biblical truths and life applications which ought to start first with the people of God. For we know better, or ought to know better, we have the revelation of God in Scripture. We can do better. We are new creations in Christ, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. No, we may not riot or loot over the death of George Floyd or condone this behavior, though we understand the smoldering anger and distracting anarchy. But our nation and church is sick with the awful pandemic of universal sin and certain death. And one dangerous strain of the sin virus here in America is systemic racism, which we have cultivated, enabled, or allowed for too long. So what's our action plan? Well, here are a few suggestions for the church. Clean hands. Not just washed physical hands, but coming clean on this issue, admitting that our hands are stained with dirt. Secondly, spiritual closeness, not social distancing or political polarizing, but testing and tracing for the infections among us first in the church, quarantining and treating those diseased, and developing deep friendships especially across racial lines. Thirdly, spiritual unmasking. Not of physical masks, but the removal of contaminated, diseased religious attitudes, beliefs, words, and actions, or non-actions. And fourthly, vaccine distribution. 
not the peddling of fake spiritual hydroxychloroquine or contaminated evangelical vaccine of the gospel under the Jesus label, but being aggressively involved in sharing the true 100% unadulterated vaccine of the blood of Jesus. So as we pray for ourselves and as church, as we pray to grow quantitatively and qualitatively in love, may we be transforming more into the image of Jesus, bringing glory and praise to God. So let's be praying this above prayer for each other, as well as living answers to this prayer in our daily lives. So let's close by praying this prayer in verses 9 through 11 that Paul prays for the Philippian Christians. Verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. We now come to our response time. Next steps. And here are some potential next steps that we have. First, I am committing my life for joy in Jesus for the first time. Secondly, I will thank God and at least two people this week for their partnership or friendship. Thirdly, I will sign up to be a pen pal of one of my brothers presently incarcerated in the Church of the Reconciled in East Jersey Penitentiary. Fourthly, I will pray wisely and sustainably this week for the continuing transformation of people whom the, scripture, whom the Spirit brings to mind. Fifthly, I will read through Philippians, find the 16 occurrences of joy and rejoice, and pursue joy this week. And finally, we will pray for God's increasing love to respond righteously to the COVID-19 and the racial injustice pandemics. <laughs>